Justin Tucker, the senior, on to try a 40-yard field goal out of the hold of Cade McCrary. The final play of the rivalry. Good snap and hold. Tucker's kick is up. Justin's kick is good! It's good! Hey, and welcome to the Texas Football Talk Podcast, brought to you by the Pigskin Podcast Network, our second edition of our overtime. How you doing, brother? Hey, pretty good. We're into game week. We're going to talk a little bit about, kind of go through the agenda here. First thing we're going to talk about are, are the questions that we've decided to pick from our live, our YouTube lives. Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit. And then we're going to get into, probably read the comment from our guy, guy there, Kirk Herbstreet, uh, about the Texas fans not being passionate. We'll get into that a little bit. And then we're going to end it with a little Raging Cajun, uh, Texas Longhorn, September 4th kickoff uh, conversation. Defense, offense, uh, what's expected out of the Raging Cajuns this year as a team and what we expect uh, to see on Saturday afternoon into evening, which is going to definitely be a hot one. So well, without further ado, we'll go ahead and start with, um, you know, the questions from our live here. The first question comes from or really phrase comes from Caleb Chapman. His is need to see the offense consistently put up some big plays and not make mistakes through coaching decisions uh, during the game. I think Keelan Robinson will be big time this season. Your thoughts on what Caleb Chapman has yeah, I, I, I think explosive plays are, are definitely key, and I think we got a lot of explosive plays last year in the offense, and I expect that trend to continue. Again, Steve Sarkeesian is the kind of coach who's going to put uh, his playmakers in, play, in, in position to make big plays. He doesn't want long, uh, sustained drives because sometimes you can commit penalties, you can get turnovers, and, and that's not what he wants. You know, you don't want to find yourself behind the chains. So, yeah, he's. I look. I think we're going to get as many splash plays as we possibly can, try to hit the home run ball pretty consistently. And then when you're talking about Keelan Robinson, again, I think he brings another facet to the offense. He's a speed demon that can, that can run the ball out of the backfield, but also line him up in the slot, put him in positions to, to kind of basically uh, go, go from sideline to sideline and pick his matchup to, to bust big plays. But, yeah, definitely. And definitely don't see the same kind of coaching decisions and mistakes that we saw last year, but again, we haven't seen this team be coached by this group of coaches at this point. Yeah. So what we're talking about big plays, I think it starts up front, obviously with running the ball, the better you run the ball, the more guys get into the box. And I think if once you get looking at eight guys getting the box to stop on someone like B. John Robinson, um, it allows your guys to, to, to work space a little bit easier to be in those one-on-one matchups, allow uh, Steve Sarkeesian to create mismatch based on what you would consider, you know, uh, getting guys moving across formations to another side of the formations to create those mismatches, you know, wide receivers on on linebackers. And I think that's where it really starts at. But at the same time, Bijan Robinson and himself, I think, had 14 plays over 20 yards last year himself in, in those last few games, which is which is big plays. So he was really your big play threat this year. And I think he's going to wind up being your big, big threat play, player this year. Will Routes. It's all going to, you know, beat the pass game, run the game. I think he's still going to be your go-to guy when it comes to big plays. Yeah, the word we couldn't find was motion. Motion the guys across the field to to, to create mismatch. And like you said, Bijan did it against Kansas State. He was doing it against Colorado. I anticipate him still being able to bust those big runs. Although I do see teams, you know, if we start with the run, that's where we're looking to, to, to key our offense from. Then I do expect the defenses to, to stack more guys in the box and, like you said, try to beat them over the top. 
All right. So next uh, question comes from Bobby V. Text wide receivers need to be ready to get off press coverage. Uh, Louisiana is going to be pressing the whole game and have their safeties down in the box to stop the run. A little bit about this Louisiana defensive backfield. If you go back and look at the numbers, one, they have all, all the returning starters coming back um, from the defensive backfield. And we'll get into more of that as we talk a little bit you know, about the game um, at the end of this show. But at the same time, you, you have a defense that gave up less than – 171 yards per game last year and only gave up 51.9% percent throws to the offenses which they were playing. But again, like he, like Bobby V is talking about here, they're going to have to bring those safeties down really against that run, against the run, you know, take, try to take the, you know, take the air out of the ball, get Bijan Robinson away from the game and then put the game in really Hudson Carr's hand. And we'll get to that as well. Your thoughts, man, on Bobby V's question here. Yeah, Bobby's talking about ULL specifically or University of Louisiana specifically. I, I think this is going to be every defense's game plan is they understand that we're going to start with Bijan Robinson. They're probably going to load up to stop him, and it is going to come down. We kind of talked about this on the live. It's going to come down to, to Joshua Moore, Jordan Whittington, and, and Xavier Worthy getting open against press man, similar to, to, to what our friend Rob Babers always talks about. Last year was a, a thing that this, these guys didn't perform well at. They got to be getting better at, and we understand that because they're going to get a lot of one-on-one matchups, especially like if you're trying to put safeties in the box, you won't have over-the-top help. And so that's going to get you wide receivers on on corners. It's going to get you tight ends on on linebackers, and you just got to be able to take advantage of it. But, yeah, I, just, I don't see that just being the game plan for you. For Louisiana, I see that being the game plan for everyone until we show that we can beat press coverage and bust big plays on the outside. Yeah, I think that's going to be week after week after week. But I think it comes into really how you're going to work the RPO game from from the run game to the to the intermediate routes to the over the top routes uh, moving forward as far as the route trees go. And, and the last question this week comes from Carson Smith. You know, we love our recruiting here on this channel. Um, how do you think the guy? How do you how do you guys think the rest of the recruiting class plays out as we see it now after we picked up three big defensive linemen this week in Aaron Bryant, Dre Bledsoe. And our guy, Jamon Tapp. Tim, Jamon Tapp, out of Louisiana, out of the boot. So how do you think it plays out, man, the rest of this this recruiting? Well, currently we have 19 total scholarships given out, uh, 17 to you know, anybody other than specialists, two specialist scholarships uh, for a kicker and a long snapper. So that leaves me with, I believe, six to seven scholarship spots. Uh, the guys that I'm really in, kind of doing this off my head, top of my head, with the six scholarship spots I would like to see come to the 40 acres at this point or guys like Evan Stewart, Devin Campbell, Denver Harris, and maybe Amario Bohr. And then you're talking about a guy like Harold Perkins. Uh, but at, at, at a certain point, I think your front seven, you have to stop looking at them and you have to start looking at the, the, the offensive line position and, and maybe adding another wide receiver at this point. But I think the front seven's pretty solidified. I think the back end could use a couple more guys. And I think you shift over to the offensive line uh, for the remaining six scholarships. But Kind of saw some numbers get crunched, and out of those four guys, they get added to the class. The composite number gets us around 295, which is generally a top five class in the country, according to 247. So what many people thought was you know struggling in recruiting a couple of weeks ago, maybe a month ago, has pretty much solidified itself. You got, like I said, 19 guys currently on scholarship. We'll see if uh, those specialists continue to – if we're going to honor those scholarships or you're going to look for – when you got a guy like Bert Auburn, who's a, who's a freshman, what we're going to do with those two positions. And then, like I said, if you can get four or five of those guys that I just mentioned into this class, it'd be awesome. Yeah, so the biggest thing is I'm looking at numbers, right? So currently we're at 19, probably going to look at 25 when it's all said and done with. 
It wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me if we didn't look at probably two offensive tackles um, or an interior guy and an offensive tackle. So I think looking at two deep, uh, two offensive linemen, I think probably going to add two wide receivers at this particular point. Hopefully we get Brennan Thompson there and Evan Stewart. And then I'm looking at, at the at the last two positions, probably going to look at, at defensive back for those last two positions if I was to look at it. You know, obviously you have your five-star guys out there that they're going to take. They're not going to say, oh, I'm not going to, I'm not going to take these guys. But I think um, as you look at it now, I think those are probably the three biggest positions of need. You obviously got a guy um, in, in Jalil Skinner, who's the top tight end in the nation. Now he, we're in, we're in his top top three, top five, whatever it may be. If if he decides he's going to pick the you know University of Texas, another guy that you're not going to turn away. But I, I question, you know, we talked about the, the composite two four seven. There's an actual another recruiting site out there that just started not too long ago. Uh, in on three, they come up with their own 150, 300 for the 22 and 23 class. And they may be something that they add um, into that 247 composite before the end of the year. And the reason I say that is a couple of guys, man, uh, they got Jeray Bledsoe in the top 75. They got him at number 69 on their board. And there's a couple of other guys and Connor Robertson is further down on some boards. And I think they got him upwards of about 150 on their board as well. So uh, where they sit at. So, it, you know, I think if they, it, again, if it's one of these things where they get on, th- you know, on three jumps in on that composite, there's a good chance that you may see those numbers rise from, from the tech side of things. And I think you had a thought. Yeah. Okay. I mean, you're adding the fourth uh, dimension to the metric. And again, we've talked about uh, beauties in the eye of the beholder. Uh, if you look at ESPN's rank on certain players, they don't have them in their top 300. If you go to another site, they have them in their top 100. So yeah, you're adding another a fourth metric to the game, which, Messes with the average a little bit. And then again, we don't know who the on three, you know, Jerry, Ham- Jerry Hamilton's a part of that on three staff for that new group over there and respect his work. So yeah, it'd be interesting to see if they add them to that metric and they, I think they should. Uh, again, it's another Shannon Terry project. Shannon Terry started rivals. Shannon Terry started two, four, seven, and now he started on three. So I would think that if it's Shannon Terry involvement, then they, yeah, they would have some skin in the game and they would be added to, 247's composite, saying that he was, you know, the old owner and CEO of that corporation at one time. Yeah. All right. So we're going to move on to the next thing here. Um, Kirk Herbstreit, ESPN, College Game Day, came out with a comment today. And I'm going to kind of read through the comment here. I'm not sure if Jeremy's had an opportunity to either read it or see it at this particular point. But I'll add, uh, it's one of these things we talk about is obviously create, you know, content creators on YouTube. And we see what the fan base is each and every day through the work that we do. So Kirk Herbstreit, he was on, uh, I want to say, Barstool, Barstool Sports. Today, he was on uh, one of their shows. I think one of their larger shows, if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct, Jeremy? Yeah, part of my take is the most popular show on Barstool. Uh, on Barstool. And he, and he start, he, this is one of, the, one of the comments he said. He said, one thing I'll add to this as just a little bit of a CV. There's not as, there's not as passionate about sports. Herb Street said of the Longhorn fans, you know how, how with Michigan, they have great fans, but compared to Madison or State College or Columbus or Iowa, it's almost like we went to the game, but we're running companies. We're doing other things. We got other things going on besides football. Our lives are bigger than if we went on Saturday. Well, in Madison, Columbus and State College, their lives are predicated upon what happened last Saturday. In Michigan, they got more things going on. It seems like that's what Texas feels like when you go to Austin. They'll show up and it seems and if, and if the team's winning, it's a fun thing to do, and they'll go to a game. And if you go to A&M, holy cow, Texas A&M, it's a religion, right? I don't know if the passion is sport in Austin, in Austin, the way it is in some of these other places. Your thought on Herb Street's uh, comments here? You know, I was when Clint was telling me about this, he didn't read the full context of the uh, 
caveat is Herb Street said, but I'd like, I really respect Kirk Herb Street's game day analysis on college game day. I really respect him as a color analyst in the booth along with Chris Fowler. And before that, Brett Musburger, I think he does a hell of a job calling a game, both color and, and pregame. And, and he gets paid big bucks at ESPN because he delivers on what he's supposed to. And that's content. I, I think he's missed the, the boat here again, because this is the same fan base that people got on when we fired Charlie Strong after three years. This is the same fan base that people got on after they fired Tom Herman after three years. If this you know fan base is not passionate, then why every time we make a coaching change, the, the folks say in the national media that Texas fans should have been more patient. They should have stuck to and, and gone with the plan. That's passionate to me. It is, if a fan base is loud enough and passionate enough to say, hey, after three years, we don't want to give a coach a fourth, and that's what you're beating them up on the national scene. And I don't think this this merits any water. And and I know you're going to talk about how Texas gets you know misconstrued with you know being in Austin and maybe the folks in Austin have a laissez faire attitude or that's what they that people think. But Texas fans aren't aren't built up of only Austinites. You know, they're, especially like Clint said, our our most of our viewing audience comes from East Texas, Golden Triangle, Houston, Dallas. Because we do we take a a, a poll just about once a month to say, Hey, where are you listening to us from? And a lot of those places aren't awesome. Maybe those guys don't respond, but I, I think you can't beat us up for not, you know, being patient and, and call us not passionate at the same time. Cause I've been there for a game day experience myself. I know Kirk sets up in the press box and he sits on a bus and he sits on a set, but if he's out there in the stands, uh, he'll see passionate fans. That's just my opinion. Uh, again, it, it comes down to, and he's, he's, you know, he's tech said Texas is successful before. Who wants to go do that coaching? Who, who wants to go do, be that coach at that university because uh, of the boosters and, and the, you know, and them having a say on, on who's going to be the coach and the money that goes along with the program. Uh, but again, you're talking about a national program and, and Jeremy's talking about statewide. But if you go out and look nationally, how many University of Texas fans out there? Because, again, just outside of state, we, we again, we do a poll. Where we do our lives. Where are these guys coming from? You got guys that are down in the southeast. You got guys that are up in Minnesota. We got guys that are in, you know, hell in the Air Force that are sitting over in Japan uh, where they're at. You know, and if you look at it, because it brings up Texas A&M here, Texas A&M is more regional. You know what I'm saying? Outside of really College Station and maybe the Houston and San Antonio area, you're going to have bits and pieces across the state where, where you're going to have Aggies at. But they're considered more region. They're they have regional fans. Um, so to me, that's really what it comes down to. Is we see it wholeheartedly. See it. We're passionate fans. We've been on you know other sites and other create create you know content creators that are just as passionate as we are. And I think he has it wrong here. He has totally wrong here because guys aren't going to be up in arms about a coach losing seven games or losing five games out of the twelve games and get ready to replace a coach. If you weren't passionate, if you weren't, uh, so there, there's got to be, you know, either we're accessible because we're not allowing guys to, to be here longer than three years or we're not passionate enough to allow to to be on them because they're not meeting that standard. I think it's where it beats at. So just wanted to bring that up here. I, I, I've seen it today. I want Jeremy to actually listen to the clip. It's done now. It's it's really it's bulletin board material to me. Let's play it on the Jumbotron before each game this year, because I think it needs to be up there because 100,000 fans sitting in a 90, 98 degrees this weekend, September 4th. There's going to be a, probably hope close to I would say 100,000 fans, probably close to probably 90, 90 95,000 fans probably sitting there at 430 Eastern. Well, it's 98 degrees. 
you can't you can't tell me those guys aren't pat those fans aren't passionate because who the hell is going to do that? So say lot me with that. Say lot me with that comment. All right, so let's get on to September fourth, four thirty Eastern. Uh, Raging Cajuns coming to DKR. First time fans are going to see the South End Zone projects at completion. LED lights on Bevo. Smoke coming out of the tunnel with Bevo. It is going to be exciting times. I think they got a Ferris wheel out there now. Ferris wheel. They got an 18 wheeler. It sounds like it's going to have a whole bunch of beer on it. It's going to be driving up and down Bevo Boulevard. So you got to chase that damn thing down. Concerts galore. Steve Sarkeesian getting off the bus for the first time with his, you know, with his football team walking down Bevo Boulevard to, to enter the stadium. Um, and he said it best this week. He said, if you, don't get chills just talking about it as I talk about it now. Get chills just talking about it. Just wait till we get there. And I think that's going to be part of this game, man, because you're starting a true or a redshirt freshman quarterback who's going to be amped up from the from the city of Austin. That's going to have to figure out real fast uh, how to play within himself. So let's talk about that real quick. No, well, let me stop you real quick. Okay, this ahead, podcast thing doesn't work out. And your health compliance stuff doesn't work out. You could be the official hype man for the University of Texas sports because you just gave us the game day experience from about 830 in the morning all the way to, you know, 12 o'clock at night. So if this whole podcast thing doesn't work out, you hit every bell and whistle. You talked about every everything that's going on on Saturday. So if this whole thing doesn't work out. You got to work for CDC. I'm sure you'd hire you as a marketing guy. I love it, man. I love it. All right. It's that passion, man. It's that passion. I know. I agree. All right. So Rage Occasions, September 4th. Here we go. Range Cage is bringing back 20 and 22 starters. Big time. They're big time. They, they went on to, to play for their championship there in the Sun Belt last year. Went on to a bowl game. Team is expected to win the Western Division this year, play for another championship there in the Sun Belt, and projected to play in the New Orleans Bowl, according to Phil Steele. They have a lot of returning returning coming back. And you're talking about five-year guys, man. Their quarterback's a five-year guy and Levi Jones there. Um, I was telling Jeremy, he's a. if you go back and look at him on tape, he, he reminds me of, and I'm not saying he's Kyler Murray, uh, but he reminds me of Kyler Murray based on size, his ability uh, to escape the pocket and make plays downfield and with his feet. Just kind of want to go through here, man, what we're looking for on the defensive side of the ball and what we're looking for is on the offensive side of the ball when we play him this week. Josh Thompson, real quick, and I'm going to let Jeremy talk real quick. Josh Thompson, quote, he said, we're going to play with Havoc. We're going to play with Havoc. And we're going to play as a team, and this is fun. And Jeremy brought something up before we got on here a while ago, and I'll let him talk a little bit about that comment. I really didn't want to talk about that comment. I thought we were moving on to Louisiana. But I will say that that we kind of heard the same, you know, talk last year when Chris Ash came to town that Keandre Coburn had said that Chris Ash pushed him in a great but the best position to make plays of any defensive coach, coach he's had. So I'm not saying what Josh Thompson's saying is not true. What I'm saying is we heard the same type of types of things leading into the first game last year from, from this defense. And I, and I think they are going to do well. I really do. I, I believe that, that this coaching staff can. Again, it wasn't a problem with the run defense. It was always a problem with the pass defense. If they can improve on that 109th rank, you know, pass defense, then, then we should be looking up. Yeah. So as we talk about the defense, I'm going to go kind of line by line what these guys are as far as size, um, because obviously the trenches is what's going to win your football game. And, and where we look at as far as defense goes, I believe that the, the defensive line that we currently have is probably that that best position group that we currently have on the team. So if you look at, at where they're at as far as their defensive or their offensive line goes, you got a center that's at about six foot, 267 pounds. Right guard, 6'5", 332 pounds. Left guard, 6'4", 308 pounds. Right tackle, 6'6", 300 pounds, and left tackle, 6'4", 296 pounds. We know that the interior part of our defense currently, as it sits with Keandre Coburn, Devondre Sweat, 
uh, Moro Ojomo, um, and the list goes on and on and on with those interior linemen, that this center is probably going to have to have double teams when it comes to the interior linemen. You're probably going to have to use the guards. And it's saying that you, more than likely you're going to have an opportunity to to be able to eat if you're a, you're an outside defensive guy uh, this week. Your thoughts, man? Yeah, you're going to have to figure it out early who, who's going to be helping. Is it his left guard or his right guard? And if it is, you're going to shift your power to, to that side of the defensive line. And more than the more than the outside edge rushers, when you're talking about Jacoby Jones and Ray Thornton, I'm looking more uh, for them to stunt probably inside to pick on those open gaps and then have the wide – not the wide receiver, excuse me, the outside linebackers looping around. So, again, I talked about it on the live the other day. I think with this defensive alignment and, and three-down alignment, two-down alignment, all guys with their hands – you know, all the two-point stances, nobody staying on the ground. Uh, a lot of exotic fronts. You're going to see some of the, like, Oklahoma's been treating us the last couple of years in that game. But, yeah, I think everybody's going to eat. But, yeah, it, we'll see. Where I, where I really like it is we should be able to stop the run. Again, that's our best part of our defensive front. And you're talking about a guy who's, what do you say, 264 pounds is, 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 the, center. is, the, is the center. Then, then we should be able to. And again, this is a good football team last year. I think they lost one football game. They're in the top twenty-five. Like we're going to pick them apart, but we trust our ball players in that front front four. And, and I think, yeah, we can do some damage. But but again, we're going to have to figure out which side is helping them the most. How, are they going to go with any kind of personnel package where they're going to have two tight ends or a heavy running back? I'm not sure if they play with a fullback. You've watched a lot more film of Louisiana than I have at this point, uh, so I need to get caught up. But um, but, yeah, I think we stop the run first, just like any other defense is supposed to. And then we make Levi Jones beat us with his arm. And that's the that's the keys to success from that side of the football field. Yeah, so really it goes back to, if you look at it, you want they're going to try to run the ball because they're going to try to take the air out of the ball. That's exactly what they're going to do. That's what they've done year after year after year um, there over the last couple of years. Stopping the run. Minimizing how much, you know, obviously uh, Levi Jones getting out of the pocket. Again, he's a he's a he's a guy that shapes the pocket. He's athletic as hell. He, he could definitely break one. So I think you've got to minimize how much he gets outside the pocket. So when we're talking about going up field as defenders. It's really bracketing this guy and keeping him at, at, at a certain point in the pocket so he doesn't escape outside of the pocket. So really not going too far upfield, but actually, you know, stopping at your limits to make sure that he stays within that pocket is 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 obviously key. Yeah, Clint, 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 his point to me before the show, before we started taping, uh, was he's a better off-schedule passer than he is in the, in the pocket. So if he if he hits his three-step drop, five-step drop inside the pocket and, and, and is able to throw on schedule, he's sometimes not as accurate if he gets uh, you know outside the pocket and gets to make plays on the run, you know, off-schedule. His, his, I think you said he had a 51.9% completion percentage inside the pocket, or is that with both? Or you just so have to you think go- that he – so if you go back and look at it, 2000, 2019, he was, he was around uh, Lewis threw for 3,050 yards, 64% uh, completion percentage in, in 2019, had 26 touchdowns and, and four interceptions. And in 2019, Levi Jones uh, finished with 2,274 yards, passing yards at just under 60% completion rate. So he, he's, he's obviously, he, he regressed a little bit from, from, from the 2019 to 2020 season. But again, it's it's about stopping the run and making this guy be able to beat you in the pockets with that passing percentage in, in this game. So I think Jeremy's right comes back to our defensive backs being play, being able to play through the ball. I think is one get pressure and then play through the ball. I think is what's going to be important on the defensive side of the ball this week against um, against Louisiana. Yeah, it seems uh, like it seems like what they do best, we do best on the other side. They run the football, we stop the run. So it's going to be power on power, and then like you said. 
I do expect for Josh Thompson, the senior led all five seniors uh, in that starting group with the two safeties and then Cook, Jameson, and, and Thompson on the outside to hold them back. And, and we'll see. But yeah, I really feel comfortable about the run defense. So, Jeremy was talking about, I watched some tape on, on Louisiana. I'll do it again tonight, and I'll probably do it through through Friday uh, before the game as well. And, and you go back, first game, obviously, watch was the Iowa State game. Very, very boring game. I think it was 7-7 seven to seven at halftime. Uh, wasn't a lot of happening. I think what, it, there was really nobody in the stands. There, really, there was no crowd situation. So, there was no really time for Iowa State to take the momentum. So you, you think it wind up seven to seven at halftime. But if you go back and look at it, it took them, it took a monumental effort for, for the Cajuns to walk out of there with a the victory. They only gave up, they gained only 272 yards in offense. So if you go back and look at it, it was like uh, really couldn't do anything uh, on either side of the ball. And then one, obviously a plus two turnover against Iowa State, had an offense, had a, had a, had a two special teams uh, scores, one on a kickoff return and one on a punt return. Uh, the guy that actually had the kickoff return is actually uh, their starting running back this year. Uh, the two guys that they had last year, they're the, they're the only two guys that left uh, from this team from the offside of the ball are currently in the NFL. So uh, the guy that returned that kickoff is is going to be their their starting running back this year. So again, got to be got to manage the got to manage the game. Turnovers is going to be a big issue at the end of the game. I'm going to give a I'm going to give a stat here. I think we'll have four four or more sacks by the end of the game, and I think we'll have multiple turnovers. So that's in my notes here. So. I got, I got that, dude. But you, you talk about 272 yards. Yeah, it's not much. But if you it, there's there's three facets of the football game, and that's special teams is a big deal. You know, you can do all, you can stop them. But if they get 14 points via via special teams, that's a big cushion. If you if you win the turnover margin, I mean, history tells us that team wins the turnover margin wins the ball game 75 percent of the time without anything else ever happening. So. Yeah, I mean, they didn't have their best offensive performance against Iowa State, but they made the plays to win the football game. So, again, we like you just said, we're going to have to create turnovers, and we're going to have to not turn the football over. And, again, I believe Jeff Banks will, won't have a problem uh, with that return game, uh, both on the punt and, and, the, and the kickoff. But, again, it's something to pay attention to because, we again, we always get tied up in, in offensive defense. But that third phase of the game in this particular game that we're talking about killed Iowa State. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Hopefully you can make it through all four, four of those quarters, man. It was, it was definitely difficult to watch it nine beyond nine o'clock last night. It, it was pretty tough. I actually uh, finished it this morning. Let's go to the office of the ball. Easy game plan. Run, Bijan, run. That's pretty much what it comes on until, until they until they can get to a point where they can stop it and pull, put, you know, eight, nine guys in the box. Uh, keep just handing it off to Bijan. Uh, and then uh, make them look the box, man, and get your guys wide receivers and, uh, you know, got to get off press coverage. Put them in, in motion so that they can, you know, win those battles that they need to win, and, and put them in positions where they can, you know, wide receivers on a on a linebacker or, or you know a safety or whatever the case may be. You have thought, Johnny? Yeah, Steve Sarkeesian told us the other day in his media availability that he scripts his plays. I'm I'm not an offensive guy, but if I was the offensive coordinator for the University of Texas, I think my first play call would be play action over the top to Xavier Worthy because I'm interested to see what kind of alignment. That and maybe maybe again maybe you overthink it and, and the defensive coach feels the way that I do. You're going to try to beat us over the top of the first play, so he comes out and nickel. But I, but I would just go to 22 formation, show a heavy formation. Hey, I'm going to run Bijan up the middle, and then one of those wide receivers on the outside is going over the top. And, and then and then after that, you, you 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 make them you know make those safeties think, and then then you start pounding Bijan. But yeah, my first play and hopefully Louisiana's not listening to this would be. 
you know, hit them with a play action just off the jump, probably in a 22, show heavy, but then hit somebody down the seam or, or on a, you know, whatever, double move or something like that down the sideline. So I think it comes down to obviously got a brand new redshirt freshman that's going to be starting his first game ever, 90,000 fans in his home city uh, for the team that he grew up watching. His emotions are going to be very, very high. Kirstetter said it best today. We're just wrap our arms around him and say, hey, just play within yourself. You don't have to go out there and do anything special. We got your back. We are your safety nets. You go out there and you do Hudson Card thing. They asked Josh Thompson today, they said, hey, uh, what did you see from Hudson Card that, that really surprised you? And he says his decision-making ability. Um, he says he makes really, really good decisions. Doesn't turn the ball over and do those things. That's what we have to see. You've got to see a Hudson Card uh, that has to stay with himself. There's going to be some ups and downs um, during the game. It's just the way it works. There's going to be some ebb and flows. Um, there will be nerves, but he doesn't need to overdo it because he got a guy like number five in the backfield that he can just hand the ball off to if, if, if the pressure gets too great on him. But it's definitely going to be an exciting time for Hudson Card. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. Like we talked about it before, if you're breaking in, whether it was Casey Thompson or Hudson Card, a quarterback with relatively no uh, experience, the best thing to have is, is number five in the backfield. And again, it's not number five. When five comes off the field, then you got to deal with two. When two comes off the field, you got to have a seven. And then we understand the tight ends, you know, are, are, are pretty deep groups. We talked about them. It's just this inexperienced wide receiver group. Can they get off Prescott? They're the key to this to this all gas, no breaks offense. And I know we're going to talk about fast starts and that after this. But if those guys can do what we've been asking this receiver core to do for the last couple of years and just beat man to man, because your running game is going to force them to play man. You just got to beat the match, win the matchups. One guy's got to win a matchup every play. And I think his offense is designed to find that matchup and allow that one guy to win that that showdown every play. And we'll see. Uh, but, yeah, number five is probably the best thing that could happen to any quarterback, uh, whether it be Hudson Card or, or Casey Thompson. It kind of, like you said, allows him to play within himself. So let's talk about all gas, no breaks, no penalties at this particular point, because that's what it comes down to. Not putting yourself behind the chains, uh, which we've had issues with over the last couple of years. You know, you find yourself behind the chains because you got stupid penalties, holding penalties and, and you know, excessive you know, penalties get you 15 yards, whatever the case may be. Um, you can be all gas, no breaks, but I think you also have to be disciplined. When you're talking about Louisiana, I told you I went back and watched the Iowa State game. Iowa State had an opportunity to score multiple times in the first quarter, and it ended up 7-7 seven to seven at halftime. You let these guys hang around, and and, and they're going to be around all four quarters. You need to come out and run the ball. They don't want to throw the ball around a whole lot, um, but if you come out, you get a big lead, 14 points, they're going to have to play from behind. Once you start playing from behind, you can't hand the ball off the way you want to. They're going to have to start passing it. Uh, which will allow our guys to tee off on that defensive line to be able to make plays in the, in the secondary. So got to come out all gas, no breaks, man, and, 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 and put the foot on the, on the gas and, and try to score as many points as you possibly can as fast as you can. Yeah, that's why I think it comes down to run, run defense because both teams have a game plan, the same game plan. Like their, their plan is to stop Bijan. Our plan is to, to get them behind the chains or, or make them in second and long. Uh, with our rush defense. And then if we can drive the football down there by making big explosive runs relatively quickly and not have to get in the pass game or, like you said, ask such a car to do too much, then that's ideal for us. But I think both teams come into this football game on the offensive side with the same game plan. Run until they get stopped. And then if we have to pass, again, theirs is probably going to be more off schedule. Ours is probably going to be, you know, like we said, the RPO game that's attached to the play action game, trying to bust, you know, Explosive plays of longer than 25 yards, both rushing and passing. 
So on the on the defense side of the ball for Louisiana, uh, a guy to look out for is going to be defensive end number four, number four uh, Zion Hill Jr. Six one, two hundred eighty uh, eighty three pounds uh, was the second team Sun Belt Conference last year. They asked Coach Sarkeesian um, who he's seen on the defense side of the ball they need to be concerned about, and he said the same guy. Uh, dude is a monster, uh, makes plays, and is quick twitch, and definitely one of the guys we're definitely have to worry about on Louisiana side of the ball. Uh, when we're on offense, but definitely excited, man. It's game week, man. And it, it may, we may be a little rusty on this podcast, but I promise you this as we get to game week two, uh, game two, and week three, uh, we won't be as it probably as rusty going through some of these games. But damn, excited, passionate. I'd uh, love to have Kirk Herbstreet on the podcast to talk about a little Texas passion and, and get his thoughts on, on uh, what we had to say about uh, his comments as well. But definitely excited. Let's wrap it up, brother. All right, man. Hey, you can find us on uh, Facebook at Texas Football Talk, on Instagram at Texas Football Talk, and on Instagram at TX Football Talk. You're listening to us here on our podcast, part of the, the Pigskin Podcast Network. Uh, you can find us on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, or any other spot, really any other platform of your choice for podcasts. Well, we appreciate you listening as always, and y'all have a wonderful evening. Welcome. Welcome.